Welcome to the Loco Parentis podcast, a fostering and adoption podcast featuring former cared for children and adoptees. Hosted by me, Twana Main, a former cared for child and adoptee. And this week we have Carol Atherton, Head of English at a Lincolnshire Grammar School and a specialist in the representation of adoption in English literature. So a little bit about why Carol's here. Um, when I've got my day job, sometimes I, I, tweet, I tweet about um, watching lots of TV, but sometimes I actually do my work. And recently I came across an article that Carol wrote in an English, an English teacher's magazine, Teaching English. And the article was titled Images Adoption. And it's about adoption in literature in English classroom. So yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about adoption from popular culture, yeah. literature, that perspective. Yes. So the first question I'm going to ask is, why are lots of children in literature orphans? I think it's this idea that um, children in literature um, can be freed from their parents. You can you can have adventures, you can go off, you can explore the countryside, you can create this identity for yourself. Um, that isn't hemmed in by your parents. So your your identity isn't determined by somebody else. You can be you can be this, this kind of self generating person. Yeah. So kids are a blank slate. I think. But so. they would have had yeah. a, they would have had parents before. Yes. But usually, so yeah. let's talk about um, I don't know Oliver Twist. Something convenient gets the parents out of the yeah. way. Um, whether it's um, parents dying or parents abandoning the child when they're very young, but it's it just it just works out quite conveniently that the parents aren't there anymore. I had a quick Google about this, mm-hmm. and I came across Oedipus. Yeah. That didn't end well. No, definitely not. So no, no. He was abandoned Yep. as a baby? He was abandoned as a baby, um, and then, oh, I'm trying to remember now, he was um, taken in by someone else, yeah. um, and the person who he fell in love with and was... married was actually turned out to be his birth mother. So, <laughs> I'm trying to work that one out. So when... <laughs> Who wrote that? That was Sophocles, yeah. yeah. Yep. Where did he get the idea of an abandoned child? Somebody marrying a woman who's maybe 15, Apparent, 20 years? Yeah, apparently um, abandoning babies in ancient Greece and ancient Rome was very common. There was um, a column somewhere in Rome um, called the Lactarium where apparently people could just go and take their babies to abandon them. Um, and the idea was that these babies would be taken in by yeah. somebody else. Um, if you wanted a baby, that was where you went. Um, people in ancient Rome adopted babies, um, sometimes to take them in, sometimes for kind of humanitarian reasons, but also sometimes for reasons like making sure that they had an heir, that they could carry on the family name. Um, So it seems to be the case that in the ancient world, adoption was a much more common practice than we think of it as being today. We talked a little bit, because we met a little bit earlier on, and we had a little bit of a chat, and how sort of adoption sometimes is presented from the adults but from the adoptive parents point of view so how are adoptive parents portrayed in literature um it seems to be that they're either one of two character types either they are this kind of rescuing parent this incredibly loving parent or more usually they are a bit bizarre um and that can be a bit bizarre in a number of different ways either they are very cold Um, There's a sense with some adoptive parents in literature that the reason why they don't have children um, or the reason why they couldn't have children was because they they shouldn't be parents. This this idea that it's some kind of divine plan for them, that they they couldn't have children because they wouldn't have been the right kind of person. Um, And therefore, when they take in in a child to adopt, um, that lack of parenting skills is something that comes through. Um, Either that or they are... Oh, trying to think of some examples now. Um, I mean, if we think about some of the adopted characters who we meet in literature, um, Anne of Green Gables, for instance, we've got Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert, who take in a child. I mean, originally they want a boy and get Anne by mistake. Um, they take in a child because they want someone to help around the house. They want a, they want a servant um, and end up um, learning a lot about themselves. Certainly Marilla Cuthbert does about her capacity to love and her capacity to nurture a child. Uh, something that she didn't think she had at all. Um, we also get the adoptive parents who are incredibly possessive, incredibly jealous. Um, if we think about Blood Brothers, for yeah. instance, Willie Russell's play, um, Mrs. Lyons, the adoptive parent in that play, um, is so possessive that she prevents her son from seeing the boy who is actually his twin brother, prevents him from seeing his birth mother. 
um, and eventually really allows this possessiveness to drive her mad yeah. um, because she doesn't want her son to know anything about his birth family. She doesn't want that sense of his history being part of his life in the present. That's interesting because um, my younger brother, like we grew up in different families and he was adopted by a different family and his his adoptive parents didn't want him to know about his previous life, even though he went into care at a very young age. Uh -huh. um, and would ask us, his older siblings, but we were never allowed to tell him. So then he right. created a kind of a fiction of who this person was. Yes. Which I don't think is common, but can be common if you if you know that you are from somewhere else. Yes. But you don't know what the past was. So why would you turn around and make yourself out to be Absolutely. <laughs> the, yes. the, the abandoned child of royalty? Yes, that's it. That's... That makes total sense. Yes. Um, Sigmund Freud wrote about it. He called it this idea of the family romance, this idea that people, and I guess it's one of those things you go through when you're a teenager, when you're a bit disgruntled with your family, um, that a lot of children start to fantasise that actually they've got another family somewhere else. Yeah. Um, usually it's a family um, who are richer, um, they're always more loving, more understanding, more caring. Um, and I guess it's this idea that, you know, everybody wants to feel that they're misunderstood yeah. and everybody wants to feel that there's somebody else who really has the key to them. Um, and for a lot of children, it seems to be that it's this, you know, fantasy adoptive family somewhere, or this, this fantasy well, real family. Because the reason, also, if you don't know why you've come into Carol, you do yeah. know, but yeah. everybody wants to have a better life than they already got. Yeah. And if the people who... Who, who who you come from why why not have them who would not want to be i don't know yeah. it's, it's not yeah. to me that's not surprising so yes. so you know when when authors write about adoption why do they choose adoption i think it's because it offers them so much potential i mean when we go back to the 18th and 19th centuries um one of the most famous novels that we've got in english literature about adoption is tom jones by yeah. henry fielding um, and for Fielding, um, Tom Jones is a foundling um, and this whole unfolding plot of Tom's life, um, it's this fabulous adventure, this adventure that spans decades and goes you know, to lots of different places and it allows scope for lots of comic coincidences, um, people's paths crossing, um, Tom actually finding out um, that his birth mother is the, the sister of Squire Allworthy who took him in when he was a baby um, but these incredibly complex um, plots um, you know th th this incredibly complex series of coincidences and misadventures um, so I think adoption offers all those kind of comic possibilities um, you know we've got the story in um, the importance of being earnest um, about the child being found in a handbag yeah. um, <laughs> on the station platform um, and I think it's that sense that you can you can create all of these family dramas this there's the scope for misunderstanding the scope for people to be parted and reunited and of course yeah. those partings and you know that those reunitings um, allow authors to explore some incredibly complex feelings um, but also it's this idea of identity as well that if you are adopted if you've grown up in a family that's not the family that you were born into who are you which family do you actually belong to do you belong to any family yeah. at all um, or do you have to create your own identity so again it's that idea of you know characters being able to determine who they are and how they build those identity if so, if you're an adopted child mm -hmm. or a child who possibly has been into care as well, yeah. how would you how would you view this literature? I wonder actually. I wonder whether children would see these stories as something that had only a very kind of tangential relationship to them, a sense that you know it was about a life that was similar to theirs in some respects. Um, I wonder whether. It's not necessarily so much what the adopted child would think, it's whether people who don't necessarily have any connection to adoption come to believe these stories as true. They have this sense that, you know, because this adopted child in fiction has this particular experience, then that must be common to all adopted children. Um, so, for instance, I remember for in, when, I was, when I was reading Blood Brothers and thinking about what it would be like to be an adopted child sitting in this classroom, um, learning about this play you know potentially as a GCSE set text this play 
that explores adoption, that explores the idea of the adoptive mother as being incredibly cold, mm. um, the birth mother as this warm, loving person, and the you know this idea that the trajectory of your life takes you back to your birth mother um, because she's your real parent. Mm. What that must be like for a child who has been removed from a birth mother who's been neglectful, for instance, or who's been abusive, who's got a very different perspective on adoption, but yet they're being told by their teachers and possibly their classmates and possibly through the textbooks and the resources that they're yeah. using that this is what adoption is. Because when I was at school, I remember doing um, Oliver Twist, and I know yeah, I know the story because you know the mm. film and you know the musical yeah. Yeah. and whatever, but I never made that connection to no. my life. And it's only when I told a few people, oh, I'm going to interview somebody who, who teaches English and sort of has yeah. written about adoption in literature and I thought so I told people they're like and they started naming loads of families yes. I'm like yeah. how do you know that? like I didn't I didn't make the connection no but no. then I do remember at school somebody asking because people knew that I was in care yeah. so like other kids would ask if I was a Bernardo's child because that was their only experience yes. like because yeah. we used to yeah. raise money for Bernardo's homes yeah. I'm like mm. I don't know I've never been to a children's yeah. home yeah I live in a house yes I don't live in an institution and then people would also ask if I lived in a workhouse at one point I'm like so, so they so they made a connection that I wasn't living yeah. with my own yes. family, but I must yeah. be living in some kind of workhouse. People do have these really bizarre ideas about adoption, and I think that's possibly more so now than it might have been 20 or 30 years ago, um, because I think the number of children who are adopted nowadays yeah. is round about kind of 6,000 yeah. to 5,000. It's a tiny amount now compared Because you wrote that, I think... Up until the late sixties, like yeah, we wrote here that twenty eight thousand yes, children were adopted. In 1968, yeah, and yeah. that was probably from <clears throat> mostly probably would have been children from yeah. birth, tiny babies. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and of course nowadays, I think the average age of a children yeah. children who are adopted nowadays tends to be around about two three years yeah. old. So we, me and my brothers were quite. Yeah, my younger brother was. I think he was adopted when he was about seven. Yeah. And that was in a different family. Me and my older brothers, well, we were teenagers. Yes. We were, <laughs> my yeah, brothers were old yeah. enough to have left care. Yes. Um, and I was just before I was 15. Yeah. So we were really late. But yeah. obviously, I don't know, it's really weird when you see a part of your childhood yeah. and how your childhood, people, I suppose, my peers would have been introduced to adoption kind of through me. Yes. But also from books. Yes, and maybe yeah. from TV yeah, and maybe stuff. From television, because like yeah. Superman, you know, you don't yeah. think you don't think. I've never made a connection with loads of this stuff. And yes. then said Harry Potter. I'm like, yeah, I've not read Harry Potter. Guys. Uh -huh. I haven't, but I know <laughs> who he is. But I'm, so he's there's, yeah. there's all these stories. That's that, it. Star Wars as well. Yeah, Luke and Leia. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh my yeah. gosh, <laughs> I've learned a new thing. Oh my gosh, I don't know how I can have spent all my life, most of my childhood, in care and not known that these. There's loads of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's really weird. Yeah, yeah. So, because we were talking a little bit earlier, how um, sort of fostering at the moment is being represented in two soaps, like in EastEnders yes. and yeah. in Coronation yeah. Street. And Coronation Street, to me, from my point of view, seemed to be doing a kind of a good job. It's just a, a little mm. girl who happens to be in care and sort of has had two gay dads, and now yeah. has just got one who's also a vicar. But um, but EastEnders seems to be going for the more, but that's EastEnders, but seems to be going for the more kind of yeah confrontational yeah, and sort absolutely. of let's go for the drama element of this yes. and so yeah i watched it and there was one point where they were sort of foster parents and then a birth parent came to turn up and try and steal yes. back yeah the, yeah. the, the yeah. foster child which as a foster as a child who's been in care and you're depending on what why you've come in care but you might be coming care for your safety and to be away mm. from certain adults and to see on tv that maybe these adults could turn up at your house yes. and take you could be really scary. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. you can watch that, but then I suppose you, you're, and then, but it's also for people who have not been in care and have not been fostered yeah. things. This is what birth parents are doing yeah, all the time. Yeah. Like the state has rightly maybe taken their children away, but mm. they come back to these people are wrong. And yes. it's like people go into care and are adopted for lots of different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's and nobody seems to look at the point yes. from, I'm going to say from my point of view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, and that out. idea that it's for, it's for the child's safety and it's, it's one of those difficult legal things, isn't it? Because you always you get these stories in in the newspapers every now and then of parents whose children whose children have been removed, and they think it's a great injustice. Mm. Um, and there are a very few cases where children have been removed, um, and that has later been proved to be wrong. But you also get these stories of you know social workers snatching babies um, because that means that they will meet targets and therefore they'll get bonuses, yeah. which is completely untrue. Mm. Um, you get people talking 
talking about bizarre things. I remember when we first started to tell people that we were going through the adoption process, people would say things like, well, adopted children have to go back to their real parents every weekend, which is completely untrue. Yeah. Um, and people would ask, well, what happens if his real mum wants him back? Yeah. Well, <laughs> she, she, that, that's not her choice. Yeah. Um, you know, people have these very odd ideas about how adoption works. And yeah. they seem to think it's really fast. Yes. So you can turn and say, I want a kid. Yeah. And you'll get one. Because a friend of mine was telling me that um, one of her colleagues, him and his partner, are going through the process. Mm. And they were complaining about how really slow it was. I'm like, yeah. I'm not really interested in your how you... It needs to be yeah, right for the absolutely. child. It obviously needs That's to be right it. for you as well. Yes. But this, this yeah. is really important yeah. for these children. Yeah. Because I think they were going for ages of maybe like two to six, but they wanted mm. siblings. I'm like, you run, you're getting two kids yeah. <laughs> of a very yeah, young age. It. And two, this, is yeah. like, this needs to not break yes. down. And yeah. this is... Yeah. And so... the important thing is the children. And I think, you know, what you just said, that this needs to not break down. I think people people often think that when you're, on a, when you, when you're going through the whole adoption process, um, some people see it as this huge injustice that you've got to have all these interviews yeah. with social workers, mm. that you've got to have medicals, um, you know, you've got to prove um, that you are financially stable and so on in a way that people who have children naturally um, yeah. don't have to do. But then you can see it from the point of view of a child who has experienced trauma mm. and instability, um, possibly moved from several foster homes to, you know, to other placements, that it's the absolutely most important thing in the world is that they have as much stability as possible and as much of a chance to build a normal family yeah. relationship with their adoptive parents yeah. as possible you need to go into life yeah. it's just like this is what happened yeah this yeah. is cool Do you yes. know what I mean? no. yeah yeah and i don't think yeah and this is sometimes maybe like in books that it doesn't maybe come across from the yeah. child's point of view yes and especially like old books where it's just like Absolutely. maybe it's a baby let's just put it here and then yes. somebody will find it yeah because i always yeah. used to remember reading stories about um some, every now and again, you used to get stories about just a, a baby was found, like in a phone box. Yeah, yeah. And I used to think, and they were always named it after the person who found it. And yeah. I was thinking, I hope I never find a baby. Yeah. But if I named it after me, they would never pronounce my name right. It's like Aww. they would always mispronounce. I'm yes. like, right, so I hope I never find a baby. But it's kind of, children don't really get abandoned in that same... No, I mean, you get these very, very occasional um, stories, don't you? Um, and in novels as well, there is a novel by Helen Dunmore called Morning Ruby, um, where there's a child who the narrator actually is abandoned outside an Italian restaurant um, in a shoebox when she's tiny. Um, and this shoebox starts to take on this enormous significance in her life. She can even remember, you know, the size of the shoes. It's a pair of men's shoes and the colour of the leather. Um, and that becomes for her um, this really significant object because it's it's part of her story. It's part of her past. Yeah. You know, like we've talked about here, like, because you wrote about like the national curriculum. Uh -huh. So there are a yeah. lot of books that you teach where adoption's yes, on the curriculum. Yes, books on the, yeah, on the GCSE Do people who... Based who are setting this realize that there are so many i'm not sure they do yeah so, i'm really not sure they do because you wrote down like jane Eyre, great expectations silas mana yeah i think i did great, great expectations but i didn't realize it was about adoption but do you teach so do you just teach this the, the book like this is the book or do you pick up certain bits or do you pick think... certain bits and go are you the only teacher who's teaching about adopt like there's adoption appears in this yeah Shall we look at that? yeah i mean probably um i you know may well be um, the only person who mentions adoption as a specific theme, because often, often with these books that are on the set text list, I mean, Blood Brothers, for instance, yeah. it's about adoption, um, but it's also about social class differences. And I remember um, when I was oh, 15, so years ago now, when I was doing GCSE drama, we did Blood Brothers and we never really explored the idea of adoption. It was about the mm. conflict between, you know, the kind of, warm loving caring working classes yeah. and the cold-hearted mm. middle classes yeah. um and therefore it, it was all about class difference yeah. rather than about rather than about adoption i'm interested in the twins as well because i'm from a yes. family of twins yeah yeah and it's quite interesting how in that we've got so yeah people don't know enough about adoption yeah and sort of assume stuff and also people assume stuff about twins as well yes and about separating twins like yeah. people are fascinated with that absolutely yeah and yeah I think it's really interesting who, like my older brothers are twins, I was a twin, but mm. my twin died right. like at 10, 
weeks or around yeah. that age. And I find it really interesting how you can kind of imagine another life. Yes. And yeah. that's quite interesting yeah. with twins as well. It's kind of like, well, people are like, they're the same person. Like, they're not, they're two completely different. But mm. you share a birthday, you share parents, and you might be identical. You share a lot of, you know, that's the kind of, yeah. the closest person you can technically be related yes. to. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's like this sliding doors idea, yeah. isn't it? It's the life that you could have yeah. had. It's the alternative. Yeah. And I think I know that. And sometimes, because I know from my life, it's a lot better now. Mm. And even like financially, mm. it's like where I live and all this kind of stuff. And it's like where I grew up. So we started off in a one bedroom flat and I ended up living in a Victorian house with a conservatory. Yeah. It's like you can go from rags to riches yes yeah yeah and i wonder whether that again is something that rags to riches idea i mean it's every fairy tale mm. isn't it whether that is another reason why adoption has been such a you know an interesting ground for for writers to explore because then when you see kind of with celebrities as well they seem to get yes. children who have come not only just like here's a kid who is like a like let's just go to the local council yes. and just get a child no let's yep. go to like the poorest parts of the world yeah, and rescue these children yeah and yeah. give them and not only are you just giving them a lot, you're giving them, yeah, yeah, like this mad kind of crazy, just the most yeah, life just like, yeah. So you could have been maybe just, just like some poor kid, mm. just, but now you're related to, yes. to superstars, yeah, and so yeah. it just goes from this. So people sort of, so I do make a joke about how my mum is just, it's not Madonna or Angelina Jolie. It's just like a farmer's daughter. You can't have everything, yeah, you know. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> she might be white, but you know. She's not famous, yeah. so I did have to go to school. <laughs> I did only get £7 a week pocket Aww. money. It wasn't, you know, it's not been amazing. It's not been brilliant, but yeah. So now that you're talking about sort of you teach old books yeah. where children were abandoned as babies, mm -hmm. what about kids who've been in care? Are there any stories that reflect that side of... Because now that lots more children... Not lots more children, but lots more children who are being adopted will have come from yes. the care room. Yeah, yeah. I'm don't think there are actually i mean there are stories there are things like um jacqueline wilson yeah. writes about um tracy beaker yeah. and it's a girl who's in a foster home um and she's wait she calls her foster home the dumping ground and mm. she's waiting she's waiting for these adoptive parents to come along but again even that doesn't really reflect the experiences mm. of a lot of children who are in care because we don't have that same kind of model yeah. of children's homes you know yeah. to the same extent anymore that's what people that's what people tend to think of when they think mm. of care um i wonder whether you know possibly because we're always so careful about protecting children's confidentiality yeah. um thinking about you know their story as being their story yeah. to tell rather yeah. than ours um whether that means people don't necessarily talk about yeah. those kind of experiences yeah. Unless it's through the kind of misery memoirs, yeah. um, you know, that was so popular a few years mm. ago. Yeah. Because I think, like you've just said, because we don't really talk about our experience. Yeah, yeah. And because maybe because it can be odd or quite unusual and mm. can be, there can be some, I don't know, some quite odd things yes. have happened or kind of like, yes. oh, wow, so that you were one of those children who grew up in that yeah. situation. So, yeah. And sometimes you just don't want to tell people about that kind of stuff. And if you mm. want to explain, I could explain what it was like just to grow up in a, a house where a mum is a teacher. Yeah. And we've, she, for the most of, the, of our childhood, we were in care, mm. but technically we weren't going in and out of care. We just, she was just our legal guardian. Yeah. And we were then going through the process of adoption yes. and making yeah. it, yeah. becoming making a family. Yeah, making yeah. it permanent. So I can talk about that kind of stuff. But from my generation, we were fortunate to have not gone to children's homes, mm. I think, even though we've, I've, I, I was speaking to somebody recently and they turned around and said that he had a great time as Paolo, because yeah. this is going to go out in order, so it doesn't matter, but he said that he had a brilliant time. Yeah. It kind of, from what he'd come from, and so it kind of made him mm. so, but I also know that there were kids who were in children's homes like in the 70s and 80s who yes. had an awful time. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Had yeah. An awful, yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I remember reading through, um, my job reading a this was about seven eight years ago reading an article about the children's home in the borough that i grew up in where one of the children that who i was fostered who who lived without my family who were yeah. my mum was fostering a different set of boys at the same time for a bit and one of them when he was older he went to this children's home i was like i know somebody was in that children's yeah. home and that, that was an adult seeing that yes. about seven eight years ago thinking yeah yeah all oh, right so there was an investigation to see what had gone on in there yes. so 
people do need to pop up and say it wasn't so bad yeah, but also I don't know it's really weird because yeah, yeah. people want to know a lot want to know yeah the the nitty-gritty and it's also like mm. how you can do that and not be yeah. sensational yeah and I guess it's one of those things isn't it people often don't tell the normal everyday stories mm. Um, I remember when we were going through the whole process of being assessed to become adoptive parents, um, I used to use the Adoption UK website a lot um, and browse their message boards. And you hear stories of people who are having the most incredibly difficult experiences, um, you know, people who've had children placed with them whose needs are so great mm. um, that they can't be met. Um, just by a couple of adopters who've not had any kind of intensive training in how to support children mm. who have experienced trauma and abuse because you know ultimately we're not we're not trained yeah. um we are prepared but we're not we're not really mm. trained as such um there isn't an awful lot of post-adoption support yeah. around it's yeah. very difficult to access yeah. post-adoption yeah. support and therefore you do you do tend to hear the horror stories mm. because obviously people aren't going to post on a message board yeah. um, that everything's okay yeah. they post when they need support yeah. so I think people people often have this idea that adoptive families um, are always going to be troubled that mm. children who are adopted are always going to be yeah. traumatised that they're always going to have behavioural difficulties and actually you know some of them do some of them don't um, some of them do occasionally yeah. but it's okay um, you know, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot that's just normal. And how is normal family maybe life. as if if schools know that you're fostered or adopted, they might yes. think, oh, here we go. Yeah. This 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 is what we're expecting. Whilst if you're absolutely a, a, a teenager who's just growing up in just like a normal family, but yeah. whatever normal is, but it's just kind of yes. like, all oh, right, this is well, this is to be expected. You're fine, but it's yeah. like sometimes you're you're stigmatized. Yes, absolutely. As being yeah. kind of. With a load of baggage, yeah, definitely. that you can't, that you can't, lots and lots of baggage that yeah, you can't get rid that of, you can't get yes. rid of, yeah, and that you just act up, yeah, absolutely. Or the alternative is people will say, well, I mean, people will say, teachers have said about my son, well, he was so young when you adopted him, mm. he can't possibly remember anything that happened before mm. he came to you. So why drag it all up again? Mm. Why make him aware of that? Mm. And we've even had some people who've said, well. Why did you even tell him he's adopted? Why <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be like the worst thing. Yeah. That'd be the worst yeah, thing. Absolutely. Oh my, that's just. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid reading. There wasn't that many. There weren't many books around. Just, I remember reading like, oh, you're fostered or you're yeah. that kind of thing. But I do remember. I remember reading one book about because it was usually white parents who adopted white children. Yes. So yeah. that wasn't the thing. So I thought this mm. makes no sense to me because I know that I'm in care because that woman is not yes. the same colour yeah. as me, this is so obvious. So there was none yeah. of those kind of stuff. But it was kind of, there were people who would found out as adults, had worked out because their eye colour were different yes. and they were just kind of yeah. like, oh, I don't think I'm, and how much trauma. Absolutely. <laughs> just yeah. tell tell kids everything that you know and in a, yes. whenever they're ready. That's yeah. my thing. Don't yeah, keep anything don't because, keep it because it will yeah. come back to Definitely. bite you in Definitely. a massive bad yeah. way yeah as i found. we know of somebody who was only told that he was adopted the night before he got married oh <laughs> just hold my breath yeah. there and i just can't imagine what why would you do that, that, that on that day you. as well yeah. the day before yeah absolutely would, would you not... yeah how old yeah. was he i think kind of late 20s oh my I'm, i can't yeah. that's just yeah. like the yeah. do you do, is he do you know how he is or no idea no. now no that's, no that's the, that is any prospective uh, adoptive parents listening do not yeah. do that just Don't tell you just tell your kids <laughs> yeah. kids are i think kids are fine if you're honest with yeah them. totally totally and... i mean we, we were very lucky in that um a close friend of mine who i worked with um at the time um was an adoptive parent she has two sons who she adopted back in the 1970s when they were kind of six weeks old um, and she talked about the fact that she and her husband always told them that they were adopted. They said things to them like, aren't we lucky that we adopted you? Yeah. Aren't we lucky that we ended up as a family together? And therefore, that's the route that we took as well. Mm. So my son's always been very, very comfortable um, with the fact that he's adopted. And he asks questions about it occasionally. Um, you know, he's he's not he's never yet gone through a stage of being overly curious about it, but it's not something that we've ever hidden from him. Yeah. We've always we've always been quite open with him. That's good. Yeah. As somebody who's grown up knowing everything yes. and kind of been told 
by social workers at various just if we understood whatever yeah. process we were going through but yeah. also having a brother who grew up in another family where it wasn't and then yeah. how that's come back to make the last 15 years quite tough sometimes yeah. when certain yes. family members are contacting like, like birth family members contacting and going yeah. oh my god because then when you i find if you're i found from my point of view is that we kind of disappeared in a way mm. so we were taken to care i stopped seeing my birth mum when i was six and then when i was nine we moved house yeah and it was she came to see us in our old house okay. and so she knew where she lived but there came a point when she didn't come anymore right and i think that was probably the decision of like social yeah. services yeah. and she, she seemed to have been fine with that yeah. but then we were worried that when we moved house that she would find where right. we lived yes and so we yeah. told the neighbors not to pass on any information and yeah. then we kind of disappeared mm. for years and then yeah. with my younger brother like digging around and getting in yeah. contact that people kind of got in contact and thinking that we were like some long we are long lost yes. relatives but it's really weird yeah. how then they yeah. can be like oh we've been thinking about you for years and how that stirs up a lot of emotions yes. yeah. and yeah and i think my younger brother kind of thought that we'd all get back together and be a family and it'll yeah. be good yeah. And people think that people are always asking, you know, uh, do you see your birth mother? No, do you know? I know where she is. I could roughly find her in about an hour. Yes, it's not yeah. difficult. Um, but I just think people just think that you're removed, but you always want them. Yes. And it's like, well, yeah, that's it. Not, not yeah. really, because yeah. she didn't abandon us. <laughs> we were yeah. removed. Yes, and yeah. I know why we were removed. Yeah. Whilst my younger brother doesn't, he didn't experience why we were removed. So then right. it's been right. I met her when I was six. She gave me a pound. This woman is amazing. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. his, yes. his hero. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that idea, isn't it, that if you if you know why you were removed, if you know mm. what life was like beforehand, then you you can come to terms with it. Whereas I think some adopted children, um, if you try to keep things a secret, what children don't know they will invent. Yeah. Um, you know, they will make up stories. And often those stories, um the what they imagine is much more attractive and much more favorable than real life mm. um and that can be that can be incredibly damaging i think when you've got this this fantasy life and at some point you have to realize that that's that's not actually the reality that's do children true. in books some of these books that we've talked about do they know that they're foundlings let's say uh yeah yeah um trying to think of an example now off the top of my head yeah you do get um examples of children who are foundlings who know um, and who are trying to trace um, their birth relatives, trying to trying to get that sense of what their history is. Um, Epi in Silas Marner by George Eliot um, is a foundling, um, and her birth father actually comes back into her life um, when she's an adult. She's found by Silas, who's this lonely middle-aged man. Um, he takes her in. And she becomes almost his salvation in a way. Um, she heals everything in his life that has gone wrong. Um, she enables him to become part of a community that he had distanced himself from in the past. Um, and then when she is an adult, when she's 18, um, her birth father, who has remarried, um, Epi's birth mother um, was... Um, a woman who was a drug addict. Um, she was somebody who was cast out, really. Um, but her birth father comes along and wants to reclaim her as his own. Um, so Epi is left with this choice: um, which father do I do I go do I go back to? Do I choose Silas or do I choose this man who's my blood relative and his new wife who desperately want a child? Mm. Um, but who I don't feel any connection to. And of course she chooses Silas in the end. So again, it's that sense, I guess, of children wanting to know what their past is, but not necessarily wanting to embrace that past, sometimes wanting to wanting to know it, but in order to reject it. Yeah, because I was talking when I was talking to a friend at work about this and he, he was reading Silas Minor at the time yeah. and he was describing the child as well, how yes. she's described in the, like this, Blonde, beautiful golden child yeah. yes yeah and i said to him is that like the christ child i guess like in that yeah. kind of because yeah. like his when his description of her was like like this is like well was that an angel or something yes. a savior yeah yeah absolutely yeah. yeah yeah and often you do get these children who are presented um as the, the you know the, these beautiful angelic figures 
um, or you get the opposite. Um, you get children like, um, I mean, like Jane Eyre, for instance, who technically isn't adopted. Um, I guess her relationship with the Reeds is more like a fostering relationship. Um, but she's described as being like this bad animal, this mad cat. Um, <laughs> I'm reading Jeanette Winterson's autobiography at the moment. Um, and it's really interesting because, of course, having having read her novel oranges are not the only fruit yeah. years and years ago it's one of one of my favorite novels one of the, the kind of you know one of the novels that i've gone back to over and over again over the years um and she tells this story of her mother adopting her because she wants this child to send out into the world to do god's duty um and then reading in her autobiography that her birth mother that her, her adopted mother, sorry, Mrs. Winterson, tells her that actually she's a child of the devil, that the devil led them to the wrong cot. Um, she should have adopted another child instead. <laughs> and, you know, so I guess it's that idea of envisioning yourself either as angelic mm. or as some kind of satanic satanic imp who, who shouldn't really be there. Yeah. It's amazing. Because we were talking a little bit earlier on about how adoptive parents as well kind of claim sort of it's a it's yes. a badge of like it's a badge of maybe i don't want to say badge of honor but it's kind of it's an identity thing it is you identify so, i think because through this podcast i've been kind of finding various people and coming across profiles in people's twitter calling themselves adoptive parents mm. and sometimes mm. saying mum to ad adoptive children yeah. and to birth children and you're yes. like you're just a mum yeah to me you just yeah. my mum would never have said she would never have described us as her adoptive children like yes. we're her children and then she would say that we've got, I've got three kids, and then we turn up and people go, oh, oh there's a different, ah, yeah. I see what's happened here, but yes. it's like, it's not, and so as an adoptive person, I find it weird how adoption can be used as a label yeah, for, yeah. for people. It's really interesting, actually, thinking about it, because, I mean, I have a strong sense of myself as a mother, but as an adoptive mother, and I think, you know, whether it's the fact that I've not gone through the whole physical process of giving birth, but I have gone through that experience of raising a child from being very young. And I remember with my son, because he came to us just after his second birthday. Yeah. Um, so he was at the kind of age where, you know, you take your children to toddler groups. And the one that I went to, it was a local NCT group. Um, and I didn't realise at the time that a lot of these mothers who were there with their young children had been there through antenatal classes. They've gone through all of that together. Um, they've known each other since their babies were tiny. And here was I with this child who was completely strange to me. Mm. I was a complete stranger to him. We were still working each other out. And it was it was actually the most bizarre experience. I remember having this sense, you know, sometimes you go into a group of people and you feel everybody looking at you. And I remember having this very strong sense at the time that it was like on those wildlife documentaries where you see a pride of lionesses and a new lioness comes mm. along with her cub. And they look at her and they're not quite sure whether to let her in or whether to rip her to shreds. Um, and it's the kind of thing as well where parents judge each other. And I think mothers judge each other yeah. incredibly. Um, and having this sense that all eyes were on me and everything I did, um, even down to things like whether I allowed him to have more than one biscuit or whether he was allowed to drink orange squash or whether he had to drink water, um, that this was something that a judgment was being passed on. Um, at a time when I was still trying to get used to the whole business of being a parent. Yeah. Um, so it is different. And you are aware that you have become a mother in a very different way. You mm. have different rites of passage, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, the book that I'm writing at the moment, um, one of the things I've written about is the fact that when you are going through the process of being a, an adoptive parent, um, the stages that you go through, you go through um, the prep course and then you have your home study with a social worker um, and then you go to panel to be approved as adoptive as adoptive parents and that's almost like um, the stages of pregnancy um, getting a positive pregnancy test and going for your first scan and going for your, your scan where you find out the gender of the child and so on but it, it becomes another set of, of kind of milestones yeah. in a way because just from my because we were talking a bit, little bit before as well about how kind of celebrities because we spoke just now but also yeah. in the, how the journalists let's say journalists yeah. will talk about sort of madonna or angelina journey and say they've mm. got this amount of this amount of birth children yes and adoptive children and it's yes. kind of from my point of view it's just like 
to just children. Yeah, it's really, yeah. I think it's really important as uh, as an adoptive person for people not to yeah. label you. And sometimes being adopted is a label, but it's kind mm. of, I think it comes with so many connotations and it comes, yes. from my experience, it just comes with, I think, curiosity. People are curious, mm. but they don't know how to be curious in a way that's kind of sensitive to yes. you. Yeah. It's just kind of like, right, mm, I'm gonna, you're like, ah, you could yeah. have asked that in such a, a better way. Yes, or absolutely. you could have waited for me to tell you. Yeah, it's not yeah. really the fact it's that... It's not public property. Yeah, it's yeah. not. And yeah. to how people... Because I found at school sometimes people would come and sort of ask me, especially at secondary school, was, was the worst. I had a dreadful time yeah. at secondary school. I found it really difficult for lots of different reasons, mostly because my mum is a teacher mm -hmm. and she's a middle-class woman who expects her children to work and also I was at a school where there were a lot of a lot of black kids not doing any work and it was cool not to work and so I would turn up and be like uh, I do like to work but mm. I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a lot of problems here and then teachers would come to me and sort of what is going wrong with you I'm like I don't really know what's going on but I couldn't really articulate that at the time yes. but I found it really difficult and then I also found sort of parents evening was really bad because they'd not done any work mm. and then people was like who's that white woman it's like oh it's my mum like what so yeah it mm. would then yes. just cause just low and then people just people just I think sometimes people think they can just ask you questions yeah yeah because they want to people want to know which yes. I don't it's just the way that sometimes people ask it and just think yeah. it can be quite intrusive yeah I found that as well certainly people people will ask me about why my son was taken into care mm. people will ask so why did you adopt why didn't you have children yeah. of your own um, you know, asking incredibly personal mm, questions, mm. Um, and this can be somebody you've only just met, who only just knows what your what your relationship is, um, and certainly that whole business about referring to your children as your adopted children. Yeah. Um, he's not. Yes, he is my adopted child, but he's just my child. Yeah. He's my son. Yeah. Yeah. You don't sit there and adopted son come yeah. down and you yeah, need to tea time. It's just like yes. yeah, yeah. You, you just don't... get on with day to day yeah, life. It's just yeah. I find that sort of, and then sometimes. The assumptions that people make about being sort of foster adopted. Yes. Yeah. And I think that can come from popular culture and Definitely. books and films. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. A lot of people who, obviously, when I was at school, people saying, "Do you live in a workhouse?" You're like, "Nice. Yeah. <laughs> You've been to my house as well, <laughs> some of you. I don't know why we're asking yeah. this question. Yeah. It's bizarre." So let's say from teacher's role. Yeah. Introducing. An alternative? Are we saying it's an alternative? No, we're saying it's a different family, a different yeah, type. Yeah, a family. different type of family. I guess. I mean, I would want um, thinking about my son in a classroom, potentially, you know, doing a GCSE set text that's about adoption. I would be thinking that I would want him to be treated with the same kind of sensitivity as you would expect teachers to extend to children who are gay, children from different cultural backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, that you would expect them to take that into account yeah. and to honour those experiences and to recognise that those experiences, you know, might be difficult to deal with or might raise issues that you're not necessarily aware of and to, you know, to be sensitive to yeah. them, I think. Maybe that would have worked at my school now. Or maybe I would have... I don't know, because it's kind of weird, because I never really thought of myself as being adopted, like an adopted child. Yeah. And also didn't really think of myself as being in care. Uh-huh. So mm. it's only now that I'm trying to work out <laughs> what my childhood yeah. was. Because I, th yes. I think... Obviously, so I went into care when I was two. Last time I saw my mum was when I was six. Mm. Was adopted at 14. So most of my childhood was spent in... Technically, yes, in care. technically in care. Yeah. But I didn't see it as that way. And yeah. then coming across certain books or films and seeing characters, I've watched Star Wars so many times. I cannot believe that has passed me by. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. But yeah, just so it's just how you identify yourself. Yeah. Yes. And I'm trying to work. I suppose I don't know what what was I. I suppose if you get adopted yeah. really late as a teenager, yeah. but you've been in care, but you've not technically. Yeah. You've not. You've stayed in one family. You've stayed in one house. Mm. You stayed. You know what I mean. Everything just becomes. This family is yes. quite normal. Yeah. Apart yeah. from, obviously, there's a social worker who turns up every now and again just yeah. to give us yeah. some information. And that just, just becomes part yeah, of your normal, just, doesn't yeah. it? And I guess it's one of those things that is part of your identity. I mean, for my son, um, you know, he probably thinks of himself as having more issues to do with having ginger hair 
rather than being adopted yeah. at the moment. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the thing that he's most conscious of in terms of his identity. Because kids, I suppose, yeah, because we spoke a little bit about attachment as well. Yeah. And does that come up in any of these books, that these people are not able to be Ooh, fully that's functioning? that's a really interesting one, because I think, actually, um, reading Jane Eyre, and again, Jane Eyre is one of those novels that I've, you know, known inside out since I was about 16. And I always had this sense of Jane as somebody who's had this incredibly traumatic childhood, um, both in terms of her experiences with the Reeds, um, with her aunt and cousins, and then at Lowood as well. But also thinking, hang on, as an adult, Jane is incredibly together, incredibly sane. Um, and there's no way if she'd been through those early experiences that she would be as as sorted out and as confident and as sure of herself as she is. Um, I mean, I'm a real Charlotte Bronte fan and I find Lucy Snow, who's the narrator of her last novel, Villette, to be much more realistic. Again, Lucy Snow is somebody who's been orphaned very early, grown up in somebody else's household, um, hasn't had quite the same kind of traumas as Jane. Um, but I find her a much more realistic character and a much better model of, you know, somebody who has been through early trauma. Um, The other person who I think is a brilliant example of a fictional character who has clearly suffered attachment difficulties before attachment was even a thing that was known about is Tatty Coram in Bleak House by Charles Dickens, um, who was um, taken in to the um the founding hospital um which was founded by thomas coram um which is now the founding yes, museum the yeah corner. the founding yep. museum um which is a fantastic place um and she is somebody who is adopted by a family um so that she can be a companion for their daughter um and is full of rage and full of trauma and you can see this all through her character yeah. um you know whether charles dickens had any kind of inkling mm. of what he was touching on there yeah. in terms of early experiences of attachment and trauma. Yeah, because that... You know, we can only guess, but... that does yeah. seem to be a thing. Yeah, definitely. Especially yeah. with kids who've had a bit of a rocky start. Yeah, very much so. It's kind of interesting yeah. to see how you're portrayed as an adult. But most adults just, who've, I think, been through stuff, do... You bounce. You do bounce back. You, ba- yeah. you recover from... You do. You, yes. you might not be the person that you were originally... You can but process I, it. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah. find it interesting that people will see stuff, maybe see stuff mm. on TV or read something about adoption yeah. and kids in care and stuff, and then just think that you just come out of it as a yeah as a crazy adult, and yeah. it's just kind of yeah, like, well, you quite you function yeah. quite well. Well, I do actually. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for noticing. Yeah, I, yeah because yeah. I don't know. I don't know what people yeah. expect from you. They think you. Yes. Yeah, you do. You have your moments, but everybody has their moments, yeah, and do. maybe you yeah. process stuff as an adult slightly different in a different way but you're not you're yeah not... yes yeah i think we're we're not particularly good as a society we're not as good as we perhaps think we are in letting people have their moments yeah um and i think with children as well the whole issue of attachment and early trauma affects children in different ways i remember again going back to when i took my son to playgroup when he was when he was a toddler thinking you know that it was at that stage where children are being taught about sharing And everything is about letting everybody take their turn and everybody sharing the toys and that kind of thing. And other children could do this. They got this. Um, But with my son, Levi, he had only just really learned that he had things that were his own. Yeah. Because when he was with his foster carers, he didn't have his own toys. They were all they were shared with other children in the household. So for him, the expectation that he would share, that he would willingly give away a toy that he'd only just learned was his <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. was incredible. Yeah. I remember when, when he first came to us, when he first moved in with us, um, one of the things he did was to, we, we bought him you know, toys before he moved in with us. And for the first week or so after he moved in, he would gather in his hands as many toys as he could clutch into his two tiny little fists. Um, and it was a tractor and some kind of teddy bear and something else. Um, and he would take us round the house and we had to go with him and his little stash of toys into every room as if he was kind of marking his territory. 
this real sense right this is this is my space this is what it is now this is this is who i am and where i am and this is this is all my stuff it's interesting how stuff that happens really like if you miss a window of yes. certain stuff yeah. when you're quite young how how it can affect you in later yeah. how it just affects yeah. your development yes because i was talking to a friend of mine recently and we were talking about how um because we, we were talking about being in care and about how we get angry really yeah. quickly it's like I go from not we don't we don't have yeah. the, that we don't we've never had that we never had that like I never was angry as a child mm -hmm. and like I remember like stuff was going on in the flat that we lived in and I never got angry yeah. and I never got yeah. angry I was never angry as a child it's only when I got to being a teenager yes. that I think it just different things just kicked in yeah. Yeah. and I just became really angry yeah. and not been able to express myself mm. and not been able to articulate it properly yeah, yeah. and just to go I, I think if I was allowed to have just gone I'm just really angry <laughs> right now yeah, but yeah. I didn't think I would be allowed to say I'm just yes. really angry so you don't say anything and then I will go from it will it'll be something quite small mm. or quite trivial and I'll just I can fly yeah. off the handle and then my friend was telling me oh yeah I do that and that's partly because we missed that window yeah as children where you learn to where deal we learn with to the deal, anger, to and, do, to and now we don't yeah. really know how to do it and yes. we just we're aware that we do it and we just then just go a bit nuts yeah, for a bit. And then, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes as well when you're a child, those feelings of anger are so scary that it's mm. it feels safer to keep them in. And it's only when you're an adult and then maybe, you know, they're still there, but maybe letting those feelings out isn't as scary as it was when you're little. And I'd also lived with a, a parent who was really angry. Yeah, yeah. Who had expressed herself through anger. And yeah. I'd be like, even though I was two or three, I'd be like, oh, yeah. that's a bit, that's a bit right. Well, yes. I'm not going to. I can't go down that yeah. route because this would all get really out of control. Yeah, but yeah. Not thinking that I'm, I'm a toddler here and I can't, yes. I can't yeah. really do that I'm much. Not responsible yeah, for this adult yeah. Feelings, and I yeah. and if I get angry, I can't yeah. get that angry because yeah. that's a different level. Yes, yeah, oh, it's wow. interesting. And there are other things as well. I mean, I have a friend who adopted two boys who were, I think they were eight and five at the time, um, and they had never had bedtime stories read mm. to them. And even when they were teenagers, they still wanted her to read them stories and wanted her to read them the kinds of stories that they would have had read to them at the age of about three or four. So they were, you know, she was reading, reading a 14 year old, the Gruffalo and that kind of thing. Is it, yeah, that's, that sounds, that kind of thing sounds quite familiar to me because I yeah, grew up in a yeah. house where certain things were happening for us later in life because we wanted mm. to recreate certain things. Mm. What's this book that you're writing? It's um, provisionally going to be called Someone Else's Child. Yeah. Um, and it's an exploration of my experiences of being an adoptive parent, um, of being a teacher who teaches books about adoption and who reads a lot about adoption. But also it's about the history of adoption, um, really from the early 20th century when adoption was first legalised in England and Wales. Um, up to the present day um, and I'm about a third of the way through it and I am really enjoying writing it, researching it, um, finding out all kinds of stories, um, you know, not, not just going back to fiction, going back to novels, but also finding out about some of the people who changed um, adoption law in this country, mm. um, finding out about some quite sort of distinctive, unknown, forgotten characters. Yeah. Um, who really made a change for thousands and thousands of children? Brilliant! I look forward. That sounds brilliant. That's I would read that. Yeah, because I, I didn't think I was really that interested in adoption. Uh huh. But I'm realizing that I think I'm more interested yeah. than I thought. And obviously, when I read your article, I thought it was pretty brilliant. And that's why Thank I got you. you on the podcast. Thanks very much for Thank coming. Thank you. Cheers. Thank, Thank you. you. Just a quick note. Earlier, Carol said that Tatty Coram was in Little Dorrit, when actual fact she's in Bleak House. Thanks for listening to the Loco Parentis podcast. Special thanks to Andrew Mills for letting us use the Dress Circle Bar at the St Martin's Theatre. I've been Twana May. See you soon. <laughs>